each Sunday night I'd watch the practice with none of my friends I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends But I'm out of practice With your hosts, Keith Barney Mike Lagoyevich and Deglio. Way back in high school, most every night, my mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo, what could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, and stream it on Hulu. Oh, it's 2020. You won't be. Oh, Jesus. I forgot. <laughs> I'm going to say what I was going to try it's to say 2020, later. 2020, you won't be getting a better podcast this week. <laughs> and welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, maybe. We are working week by week through David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, we are up to season three, episode 18. And in the intro, I couldn't remember the word acquitted. Mm. I was going to say, it's 2020, you won't be acquitted, but you might be commuted. If you're corrupt enough. But uh, brain's not firing yet. My mic's broke. Keith's brain is broke. So I hope that (laughs) we can get through this, uh, what do we call it? Oh, episode. Episode, yes, we are all broken just about every possible way, but we are excited to be here talking to you about the practice. What's going on? How's life? Life is good. Politics is crazy. Though, did you see that epic beatdown that uh, Anderson Cooper laid to Blagojevich? I did not. I did see the epic beatdown that uh, Elizabeth Warren did to Mike Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yeah. Oh my lord! You know those. There are candidates I would vote for. In fact, I'd probably vote for anyone on that stage. But watching them all together makes me think, "Oh no," <laughs> which isn't really the feeling you want to have. I. You know, I didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. I. This time, I felt finally not. Oh no. In some ways, because, uh, yes, of course, you really want to avoid the circular firing squad. But uh, the addition of Bloomberg as the whipping boy, I think, really helped things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the uh, you know what? Different podcast. Different podcast. Different podcast. But it's uh, if Trump is brave enough to debate whomever it is, this will be good practice. Although I've. There's a part of me that fears he will be too cowardly to actually do a debate. I say, it's totally unfair. I don't like the rules. I can't debate. Well, the one thing we don't have to debate is that though the Democrats are enjoying some of their own crossfire, we get to talk about a different type of crossfire this week. Crossfire indeed. Yes. Oh, so uh, first up, it's time for... So uh, we ha- we heard from a new friend 
who is uh, interested, he, he reached out to us via Twitter and interested in starting his own The Practice podcast. That's true. He sort of asked our blessing, I guess. Totally unnecessarily. Yeah, I, we don't. We definitely do not. I guess this is a good time for the legal disclaimer that we have no legal rights to and or want any legal rights to having a... <laughs> or deserve any correct, legal rights. Having a discussion about DVD Kelly's The Practice. We welcome all comers. In fact, I made it a point to subscribe to the Ally McBeal podcast... Of course. Uh, good friends of the show, which we had mentioned weeks back, maybe a month or so back. Uh, no, I guess last season when we did the crossover. And I have been lazy and hadn't had time to load them up and subscribe, but I have done so. So I'm I'm, I'm debating where to, to jump in. What's nice is they're moving into Ally McBeal season three. We're on the practice season three, which right. seems it's, it's almost kismet that at some point, there's some sort of fusion that takes place, and we do a crossover podcast episode, which would be mind blowing. I, but also we're done with the crossover. It would have made sense to do it at the crossover crossover, but well, actually, it's still a Kellyverse crossover. So there's spoiler alert: the practice does not cross over again into Ally McBeal. It does have two more crossovers into other shows. Interesting. Yes, we're going to spend some time on Boston Public. And we're also going to, I believe it's called Crossing Jordan, which was a medical show that uh, it it did not survive. It only lasted one season. And in fact, uh, this is, we're well into the future at this point, but I uh, can't find the episodes. Interesting. They're not available anywhere. So i can't find them on ebay i don't think i'm not even sure they even released it on dvd it's not on any of the streaming platforms so it's going to be difficult to finish that storyline which is going to cross through so if anybody has any video in any format of hold on i gotta look up the name of the show uh I think it's hold on, hold on. Let me get it right. While Keith's doing that, I'll just I'll I'll sum up that last point. More power to anyone who wants to have a compendium podcast to this one or something completely separate that's not affiliated with or giving any credit to us. We don't care. Um, however, if that individual decides he he wrote us kind of privately, so we're not going to kind of talk too much about it. But should you want to engage with this podcast going forward, there are ways to do so. You can shoot us an email, outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You can go on Apple Podcasts or any podcast service and leave us a review. So we'll read that on the air. Just let us know you did so. Or you can engage with us on the social media at Out of Practice Podcast. I always forget our handle. <laughs> yes, out of practice podcast at gmail.com. And it's just out of practice podcast on the social media. Awesome. So if you want to get your your say in filings and subpoena, if you want your time in court, there are plenty of opportunities to do so. Lastly, I'll just say if you want to throw us some money, as it does cost a little bit of cash to keep things going, to keep our episodes mastered, to keep our microphones functional. You can do so a one-time <laughs> donation at paypal.me slash O-O-P-P-S-Y. And, of course, we have mastered nothing, and our microphones do not work. Well, if but I told we... you how much money we've collected, you'd know why that is. 
Uh, also, you can become a founding sponsor, a founding supporter, uh, by going to the support this podcast link at the bottom of all of our show notes, like our Mount, Mount Rushmore of supporters, Leanne writes. Okay, yes, well, thank you for the begging section. Uh, it's actually a show called Gideon's Crossing, uh, which was an Andre Brower headlined show. It was not a David E. Kelly show. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, so Gideon's Crossing. If anybody has a link to that those episodes or a DVD, please let us know so that when we get there in, I think, season five or six, we can actually finish the crossover because there's going to be a big storyline that we need to f- follow through on because follow through is something we do the best hey you know we have done 53 or some odd episodes in a row without interruption well yeah while being in different places on tour we always our goal is always to like get a few in the can so that we're never behind but we don't do that so we literally record this every week so this is the pat on the back section, and now we're going to jump in a time machine and discuss this day in the basement, March okay. 14th, oh. Keith. Oh, go ahead, set us up. I know, set we, up our world. We've we've swapped roles for no reason. <laughs> March 14th, 1999. Mike Indeglio is in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, attending Upper Marion High School. Lonely Heart Keith Varney is out in Rochester, <laughs> freezing his so little true. his little sad ass off, <laughs> whilst performing with some of the most accomplished musicians of his time at the Eastman School of Music. I was indeed. Actually, uh, this week, one of my classmates just accepted a faculty position back at Eastman. Oh, congratulations. So, uh, congrats, Nicole. That was... That's pretty cool. That's a pretty big deal. That is a big deal. I love to hear about people uh, moving forward in life whilst I sit seatbelted to where I was when I was 22. Well, I mean, we're sitting at a desk. I don't think the seatbelt's necessary. That's true, but, you know, this podcast can get bumpy, baby. It's... (laughs) (laughs) It sure can, but I can definitely imagine the jalopy like hoopty vehicle that we're driving in oh, yeah, and it's, it's things falling off and parts of it's on fire and it's out of gas and clearly there are no spare tires but also can you imagine that we're ever going fast enough to be dangerous on this podcast on this podcast like the the out of practice bus right how fast is that really going it's not going that fast that's true i'd say like a a, a very within the speed limit. It depends on who's driving, but I would probably only be going five miles over the speed limit, and you'd be doing well 15 under. I don't think we could hit the speed limit in that vehicle unless we're, like, limping our way down a hill. But in March of 99, I was driving my favorite car I've ever owned, the Honda Prelude, the of 1998 course. or the 99. It was my baby. Uh, it would only last less than a year longer before... Uh, life, life takes the wheel instead of Jesus. Um, <laughs> well, he he took the wheel. He just took the car away. Quickly, I'd like to just discuss uh, safe spaces. I'm in my last week of rehearsals for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which will open next week on the on the podcast. Oh, how uh, exciting! In the time machine. However, did you get clips? Do we have clips to play yet? I'm still in search of clips. There's a whole story I'll tell you about why I don't have any video. 
but there still might be hope for audio I'm working on. But huh. anyway, my senior year was also full of not going to a lot of classes uh, for various reasons. But I do remember, you know, I'd mentioned I'd played with the high school jazz band, uh, but that right. was just out of courtesy in two performances because there was no other guitar player, so I agreed to do so. I was not a, a full member. Like, it wasn't one of the classes that was on my schedule. Okay. However, uh, and it sucks because at the off the top of my head, I cannot remember the teacher's name, and I'd love to give him a shout-out, but regardless, I'll, I'll, I'll fix this later. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out his name. However... What I thought was really cool is, you know, a lot of a lot of teachers and parents alike scoff at the quote unquote stress of a high schooler uh, because adults, once they become adults, figure their stress, there's no comparable stress to what they go through on a day to day basis. That's not how I remember it. Um, right. Uh, I, however, you know, there were those few teachers like we discussed that that did appreciate the stress of being uh a young adult f- encountering their first sort of real interfaces with the world and its troubles. And what was really cool about this jazz band teacher is that at any time, for any reason, he would allow students, musicians, to use the practice rooms for whatever, even if you weren't rehearsing. And so what a lot of us did, especially senior year, would... Tell our teachers, God bless them, that we had band sectionals or jazz band sectionals, which was like sure, a, yeah. a pullout of from class where you would get a pass or whatever. But we stopped getting passes. We just would say if there was like a test or a stressful situation or shit was going down at home, which was often the case for me, I've got a jazz sectional. And then I would just leave class, go to the band room and do whatever, do my homework, take a nap, hang out, play on the drums, grab a guitar, do whatever. And he was totally cool with that. And that safe space, that third space outside of learning within the school, was really powerful for me and for a lot of my friends. And though, yes, there were people who took advantage of that to, you know, make out or to just get out of class, there were the majority of people, at least in my that I knew, used it for mental health, for a respite. And I think we need to continue to encourage that, not just in our schools but in our public discourse. And remember that though kids can be annoying and teenagers can be really annoying, they are still people who are going through shit that maybe we don't know and maybe they aren't telegraphing those signals and we need to allow that space for them to just breathe. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. And it's interesting how much overlap there was in your experience and my experience uh, in high school. Because again, it, uh, the music area was the safe space. It was the the place you could go. Um, my music teacher was Andrea Hollenbeek, and her room was sort of where you could just go and be in her classroom sort of whenever you needed to be. Same thing. And uh, Tom Walters was the band teacher at that point, also had practice rooms, very similar. Um, and uh, yeah, it was definitely really... It helped me a lot to have a place in the school I could go and be free from whatever bullshit I was dealing with. And yes, of course, we did make out in the be- in the back of the band room, but uh, but pretty innocently so. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And may we all find our band practice rooms to run off to every once in a while. So 
out in Rochester, I'll tell you what I was doing. You've you've heard the term freshman 15, yes? I Especially have. when people uh, go out to college and you're on the, the new dining plan and the unlimited food and no uh, restrictions about what you're eating anymore or drinking. I took this very enthusiastically and I put on my I put on my freshman 50 shit <laughs> almost yeah I mean I I wasn't super thin when I got there but I was very much not thin when I left um I don't think I processed what a calorie was or how what I put into my face would have had any impact on getting fat <laughs> Despite the fact that my parents were so restrictive with food mm. to the point where like it, uh, like bad food became like fetishized for me and they were so fixated on health and whether it made you fat it it, it didn't clock in my brain when I was when I was a freshman so or still uh but I would at 10 o'clock every night go down to our little it was called the pit it was a little dining uh snack bar deal and get a giant plate of french fries that i would dip in honey mustard and i would make super soda which if you have never had super soda before it's really quite something you go to the you have the fountain the you know, soda fountain deals and because i worked there i had access to all of it and i would where it dispenses the seltzer when you, you push on the thing and the soda comes out there's there's a little nozzle there, and on the outside ring is the seltzer, and the syrup comes through the center ring. So what I did was I invented the... I took a straw and put it directly into the syrup hole and diverted it into a cup and then put the seltzer out. So I was able to double, triple, quadruple syrup the sodas I was drinking. So I was like, you know, having this giant Coke that was probably 600 calories along with my 700 calories of French fries at 11 o'clock at night, every single night. Mm. So I got a little chunky. Well, Keith, uh, it's good to know that you're now the pillar of health and fitness. <laughs> uh, you know, when we met, I weighed probably what you weigh now. Yeah, you were rail thin. And I you know, I'll never thin. forget it too because I, I didn't believe you. You had told me that you were a bigger guy and I didn't believe it. You showed me pictures from, from your freshman year of college or your first headshots from Eastman or something like that. Yeah, yes, in college. And I couldn't believe it. And you said that the you lost all the weight because you just stopped drinking soda at the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> let me tell you what you can do the miracles of weight loss you can have when you're 23 and yeah. don't drink alcohol yeah i hear you it gets harder i so i'm 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 39 years old i'm i'm proud i'm happy to say and i have been working out the past eight i'm on week 6 of 8 weeks of this pretty decent lifting plan it's like one of those p90 type things Oh. And I've been fairly diligent about it, and I definitely can. F I feel different. I feel stronger. However, that like little belly that lives under your like gene line, mm, yeah. no effect. Just no. no effect. And it's you know your metabolism changes when you're 25. 
I lost. Oh, I told you, I lost sixty five pounds in like four and a half weeks, or Jesus. you know five weeks. It was crazy in my twenties. But look, Keith, you know what? It it it's a lot of stress, a lot of cortisol, running a world class, uh, off imitated super podcast. Oh, yes, that is definitely how I would describe this. All right, so I was getting fat. You were hanging out in the band room, and the rest of the world was listening once again. Somebody is singing this. Yes, this is... Obviously, shares belief. That is not shares. It is not. This is Adam Lambert singing it live at the Kennedy Center honors. I'm probably in her key. Yes, get it. Woo, Adam. The local Burlington Free Press, the headline was Cambridge Grows Without Controls. And Cambridge, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Very impressive. So Cambridge is the little town right next to the little town that I grew up in, Underhill. And this sort of headline about it's growing without controls. It's chaos. It's just exploding well, the population is 3,659. Mm. <laughs> so it was growing, and uh, but that was actually bigger than the town I grew up in, which currently has a population of 3,016. And when I was a kid, it was about 2,500 people in the entire town, which is little. So uh, Anyway, so that was growing without control. The top movie was, once again, analyzed this in week two, which took in $15 million. And that brings us to moving on to the final episode. Oh, Jesus. No, we're not. Can you tell me the weather? Yes, we all need to know. Was it hot? Did it snow? Did it snow? Yeah! From 21 years ago. It did not snow. In fact, it was fairly nice. 43 degrees was your high. Felt like 37, though, so there was a nice chill here in Astoria, New York. It went down to 22 degrees overnight, but spring was in sight. And that has been your Time Machine Weather. Oh wow! It has a new has a new title. It's Time Machine Weather. Is that what's happening now? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I it's I I think the whole thing is garbage. <laughs> Keith, let me tell you before I forget that jazz band teacher. I know we have a big thing. We love to shout out good positive educators in our yes. lives. His name was Mister Whitaker. Thank you, Mister Whitaker. And fuck you, Mister Wells. Okay. My math teacher from Yeah, Mr. Mazzarelli, year. fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. We should have a hall of shame. We should just... <laughs> a wall of shame for our teachers that we want to... F- well, no, we don't want... We want to say fuck you to. 
<laughs> yes. Well, we don't want to. We just did That's on the a good internet. Point. That's a good point. We all you also told a story about a honey hole and it had nothing to do with what you might think. It was uh, a, a soda machine. It was getting How the syrup out of a soda a machine. Super soda. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I just it, it wasn't a happy time, but french fries were my friends. You know, most people go to college are looking to stick their straw in a different honey hole, but not <laughs> Keith Farney. Not that year. <laughs> Definitely not. Shall we discuss the practice? Can we please? please? Can we please discuss the practice? All right. We are talking about season three, episode 18, Crossfire. And it was written by David E. Kelly, Jill Goldsmith, who hmm. last wrote on Of Human Bondage, and Alfonso H. Moreno, who wrote last episode. Okay. And it was directed by Dennis Smith, who last directed Swearing In. Which leaves us with the eternal question. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? What does Mike think's gonna happen? You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Keith, I can only say that if we don't discuss Eugene's impending litigation or uh, what's the word I'm like fight child custody case yeah child yeah. custody case I'll be upset because I was left riled about that last week because we both agreed at the time that her just because he's a defense attorney and because their kid got in trouble and was, you know, spouting off some of his father's, some things he's heard in the father's firm, or it's just some anecdotal things he's heard about defense attorneys, he should no longer have custody of his child. That just screams of raging bullshit to me. So I hope and I predict that we are going to discuss that this episode, but Crossfire has to include somebody else. And so my my wild guess here is that Someone, he's, she's going to attempt to get a lawyer we know, maybe? Maybe Tony Danza or somebody of that nature to represent her in this custody hearing? Which okay. would, or maybe even, maybe Helen, or no, I guess a district attorney wouldn't do it, but somebody that we've met before is going to represent her, and that will be the internal crossfire that we are discussing. Okay, well, I will tell you this, it will be a famous person. Okay, that's good enough for me. Okay. Let's run an ad! The Practice, Season 3, Episode 18, Crossfire. Bow, 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 bow. I expect we'll do okay. No judge likes to cut off custody. Look at Bobby High Pants But there. Eugene, we could be in for a real fight here. I know. She hired Solomon Tagger. Where she got the money to do that, I don't know. What I do know is this guy doesn't fool around. God, not Taggart. If I have to get ugly, you have to let me. I don't want you to tan her up, Bobby. At the end of the day, she's still my son's mother. And at the end of the day, we want you to still be his father. Well, I mean, he's Dad. still going to be his father. Kendall, what are you doing here? I just came. Billy I Thomas, back as Kendall. Your mother know? No. What's going on? I had a meet with those doctors and stuff. Why is nobody telling me what's going on? 
So his mom didn't tell him yet? No. Mother thinks uh, you're getting involved with drugs has something to do with my influence. And she thinks it would be best if you didn't spend time with me. Ever? Just for a while. But you're my dad. Yeah, Kendall, we know. Ugh, these stories just make me sad. She's doing what she thinks is best. She loves you just like I do. We just disagree on what's best. And she's asking some judge to stop you from being with me? Although they do agree that Something slinging like dimes that, yeah. is probably not best. Probably not the best, no. Unless you're on the football field. That's true. He's doing a good job, though. I mean... Yeah, Kendall's been great, you know, every episode we've seen him. And so is Eugene. Oh, well, yeah. And, and Eugene is also doing a really good job parenting his way through the situation. Because, like, there's a lot of ways you can make it worse. And I think he's doing a admirable job you know I, it's Kendall interesting to this. me when in divorce custody hearings or not custody in divorce hearings when you're talking about money money is usually pretty cut and dry there's certain mathematical equations they use and they decide who gets what and it's right though it's often very contentious the equations are very clear when it comes to custody not so much yeah and it's just painful on, and messy for late. everybody. You got plenty of time, Eugene. Who's up first? The guardian ad litem, Tanya Morrison. She takes a strong position. She's tough. Who's the judge? Bender. Come on. Ms. Gamble. Hi. Hi. Uh, listen, unfortunately, we weren't able to reach a plea, so we go to trial. Okay. I'll be putting you on first. And remember, we talked about his attorney. Listen, I'll do what I can to protect you, but the main thing, you have to keep your composure. Okay. Helen's got a nice tan here. You won't let her get brutalized up there. This attorney's you know, she's really tough. focusing on self-care. <laughs> she's going to be attacked, isn't she? Well, defendants get the right to confront their accusers, Mr. Hayes, and this one will. All right, so... Kendall has an above-average IQ, but he appears family to be lacking Helen's some talking more- to... All right, I'm just going to set up the family here so we don't interrupt the scenes later. So we have a family that Helen is working on. They're prosecuting somebody, someone for something who did something to the daughter. The daughter is played by Heather McComb from Ray Donovan, The Event, Prison Break, Party of Five, and Profiler. The father is played by Lyman Ward, who you would know he played Ferris Bueller's father. He was also in First Monday. He did three different characters on Murder, She Wrote, Dallas, and Bonanza. But if you are me, this guy looks just like your pediatrician, Dr. Bates. He looks, sounds, and acts exactly like my pediatrician. So if you are me or my little brother, you will know what this means. Well, you just uh, singled out our entire listening audience, so there you go. (laughs) Yes, so this audience will know exactly what I'm talking about. What do you mean, doctor? With the drug arrest, he focuses on that's the dude from Office Space, right? Yes, it is. And in line to I'm going to have to go ahead and ask you to fill out this uh, TPS form for me, Keith. Yes, indeed, it's Gary Cole. 
From, of course, Office Space, Talladega Nights, Dodgeball, The West Wing. He's on The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Of course, Veep. But my favorite thing he's ever done was a one-season failed show in the 90s called American Gothic. Which I remember watching as a kid, and it was so cool. It was this horror, scary, he played sort of like this bad guy... A little bit like a like a Danny Torrance sort of a situation. Who or not Danny Torrance the the father who he played in the TV movie version of The Shining. But anyway, it was good. It's Gary Cole. Hooray! This lady on the stand is Donna Hanover. Let's hear what he she has to say. Parents about it afterwards. He focuses on how his denial skirted the truth. Come on, doctor. Growing up, my children threw every excuse imaginable at me. Isn't that just being a kid? The normal kid understands when he's done something wrong and uses the excuse as a way to escape punishment. With Kendall, it's almost as if he believes the excuse nullifies the bad act, and therein lies the problem. To what do you attribute Kendall's behavior? Did she basically love a sociopath? I think she did, yeah. But I do believe a significant one derives from contact with his father. He's a bad role model? I'm not saying that. Likely, he's a great role model. I'm saying that contact with him is having a negative influence. A good model with a bad influence? Mr. Young is a criminal defense attorney. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I know that Kendall is somehow processing right and wrong through his father's eyes. And it's resulting in a blurring of the lines for him. How many hours total? Better podcast stuff, but does David E. Kelly have any experience with custody battles or things of that nature? Does he have any children? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 there's a part of me that feels like it's none of my business, strangely. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. I just, but, uh, but, but yeah, it does feel like there's something, he's working through something here. They're going to have to, they're going to have to convince me that this is even worth doing because, I mean, even like heavy drug dealers and things like that, they hesitate to take custody away from anybody. Well, I also don't buy a real psychologist making this argument at all. Yeah. I don't buy that for a second. Especially when, you know, he was selling, not that selling drugs at 11 is not bad, but he was like slinging a couple bags of weed at in school. I mean, and they're going to... even But even if he were like murdering people, your father's occupation isn't a reason to remove him unless he's doing something like his occupation is like a drug deal or something like that it's about how he guides his child through you know the occupation and how he how, you know it's it's about the guides not the occupation that's entirely it's also really expensive to do shit like this for her to take him to court you know, it's like they're spending so much money well eugene's yeah. not i mean it's easy for him but yeah it's uh well, did you spend with candle about six and a half and in six and a half hours, you find that Eugene Young is a bad influence on his son. Yes. Because he's a criminal defense attorney. Because of the emotional and behavioral impact he's had on his son. Because he's a criminal defense attorney. Mr. Young faces tough moral choices. Maybe he has a handle on it, and maybe he doesn't. Now you say Mr. Young faces tough moral choices. Do you have any evidence of Mr. Young acting amorally? Well, I think defending somebody accused of murder is perhaps... It's immoral for a criminal defense attorney to represent murder defendants? I'm talking about how it impacts on a child. It's your see... opinion that children can't process... Your Honor, he's not letting a witness finish. I agree. 
Let her complete her response, Mr. Donald. Of course, every defendant deserves representation. Most 11-year-olds can appreciate this. I'm speaking as to what's going on with Kendall. Thank you, Doctor, but how... I still haven't finished. By defending these people... Reclaiming my time? Reclaiming my time? Kendall sees an implied endorsement of them. Dad says these people are okay. Dad says what these people did wasn't so bad. Dad says it's the police who are at fault. So these are the talk things to this the kid, kid is processing. Don't remove him from the home. It's not coming from his mother. Thank Boom. you for taking the time. Yes, but is not taking a kid away from his father whom he loves whom clearly he was distraught when he learned that he wasn't going to be seeing his dad anymore for a little while and there's no evidence he's done anything other than be a good father to so that's not that's not uh bad for the child that's not bad for his well-being or his psyche i mean six hours is all she spent with him that seems pretty much like hey i'm taking you to the psychiatrist so that you can testify for me wow you can hear two dudes Running to Eugene's defense pretty fast here. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, but it's been written in such a way that doesn't leave much ambiguity in what's right and wrong here. And I, I think that it's, it's a little too cut and dry because yes. I think every, every situation, because the way they've, the way they've structured this, Eugene, as a father, has done literally nothing wrong. They're condemning his occupation, which of course is like three quarters of what the practice is, is condemning the occupation of being a defense attorney. And this is just a different way to do that, but it doesn't really clock. It doesn't it's, really track. It's interesting in the character for the character as well, because you know, they, they're already within the first five minutes of the episode, they're making sure that Eugene is not only still very nurturing to his son when he's telling him about what's happening, but also comes to the defense of his ex-wife. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, he's handling this really, really well. And he, you know, and Eugene doesn't always handle stuff well. Right. Captain, like, assaulting people on multiple episodes. Anyway. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, portrayal of the character. I think it's great for, for fleshing him out, for sure. Sure. I'm going to have Lucy take notes. If Not sure it's doing any favors sure. for his wife's character. Well, though. as I said on the phone, no. I'm a practicing child psychologist, and I was recently discharged from my job for grounds I believe to be Is he illegal. blind, this and guy? The grounds? I developed a condition in my eyes. We'll find out. Which they cited as cause. What kind of condition? It affects the muscles and, well. Whoa. As you can see, I'm rather cross -eyed. That is a screenshot for the ages. He's super cross-eyed. But while we're staring at him, we are not supposed to notice that you've been on the show before. But now you get twist the residuals arriving at your door. So welcome back to the practice. I'll pretend that I don't recognize that I saw you in season two and you met your demise. At first you were a killer, but now you're set free. First appearance, mainly filler, but you had to go to you. You just might be welcome back to the practice tonight. <laughs> welcome awesome. back, Alan Wilder, who we never introduced before. He was in Child's Play, Home Alone, Kiss the Girls, and Poltergeist 3. But he was last seen in The Civil Right, playing Walter Rowland, who was the minister who officiated Jimmy's mom's wedding. 
and now is a different character. Now, were his eyes crossed? Uh, they in that were episode? not. They were not at all. So Don't this worry. is acting. Acting in well, it's probably a contacts, but yes. What do you mean you think it's contacts? I uh, I don't think you could do that with your eyes normally. They'd be, they'd be intensely painful. I mean, this scene probably took twelve hours to shoot. So you think that he's wearing contacts that white out his actual pupils? Yes. Interesting. No way. That's totally. He's Definitely. just doing a cross-eyed. No. Oh, all right. Twitter poll time. <laughs> No, it's definitely contacts. Oh, how can we find out? Does anybody know? Who has a get? I need to post this on our Instagram, and I want to see what people think. Is this contacts, or is it acting? Okay, all right. Well, since you mention it, and this is why they fired. This is why you don't put shit on your special skills section of your resume unless you can deliver <laughs> on set. That is good advice. Yes. It's a bilateral. Sorry, I keep pausing. Keith, best story from an audition where your something in your special skills got called out. Oh God, uh, I auditioned so infrequently. I don't think anybody ever even looked at my special skills. But I'm assuming you have one. So for a good portion of a time on my special skills, I would put I put admitted nerd, comma Jedi mind trick just to see if anybody would catch it. And so on a few occasions, not a ton, but on a few occasions, people would ask, what is the Jedi mind trick? And so I would wave my hand, like without skipping a beat, I would wave my hand and I would say, you don't need to see me do the Jedi mind trick, which would elicit either a great laugh, which would be great, or beat, 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 thank you. And I'll let you decide which percentage of the time was which. Oh, that's... I, I mean, if you're going to ask for it, you should know what it is so yeah. you can get the joke. I agree. So I ended up having... I ended up taking that off because the risk-reward just did not did not uh, <laughs> s- slant in my favor. However, I did keep admitted geek because I think that's... I don't know. It, it does bring up some conversations sometimes. I talk it, as if I go to auditions a lot. I don't. It's also obvious. Nerve palsy. I got it from a head trauma. Ms. Washington, it does not render me disabled. I have been and continue to be an excellent psychologist. I'm very good at what I do. They're really leaning into the... Yeah, see, it changes eyes, which one crosses, depending on how he I tilts his head. I think it's real. I walking around window shopping, then I walked to my car. And what happened? As I started... Keith doesn't believe in the nose prosthetic for George Vogelman, but he does believe ah. in cross-eyed contacts. Definitely. To pull out. All right, we're back in the Helen's man. case. He jumped this in is the Heather McComb on the stand. What did you do? I tried to jump out my side, but he grabbed my wrist so I couldn't get out. What happened then? He pulled a knife out of his jacket and pressed it against my neck really hard. Tell me, what was going through your mind? Fear. I was thinking... If he had just wanted the car, he, he would have let me jump out. I thought he was going to hurt me. What happened next? I started talking. You started talking? Yes. I started telling him about myself. I thought maybe if he knew something about me, he wouldn't want to kill me. Why did you think that? I read that one strategy with an attacker is try to humanize yourself with them so they won't kill you. And it worked? Yeah, I guess so, because he told me to get out, which I did, and then he drove away. 
Any bruises on your wrist or your neck? I don't think so. You never went to a hospital? No. Can anybody account for your whereabouts that afternoon when you say you were window shopping? Not that I know of. I was by myself. Did you also kiss Randy Strunk? Excuse me? The truth is, you met Randy, you had consensual sex with him, and then you loaned him your car. Objection. Isn't that what happened? Are you crazy? You would never sleep with someone you just met? Objection! It's a fair question. Sidebar, Your Honor. This is like a plan A, plan B. It is. This is Michael Brandon as Adam Dawson. We've seen him before. She's been known to pick the lawyer. up metal, not just with her car. You gotta be kidding me. She's a social girl. I'm just showing that. That is completely irrelevant. Even if it were true, a victim's sexual history is inadmissible. Rape shield. This is not a rape. Rape shield doesn't apply, and I am entitled to cross-examine my client's accuser. I won't let you go there, Mr. Dawson. Susan Biomer as Judge Rudy Fox. I believe we've seen you. her before, You're too. not going Blomert, there. yes. You say Blomert. He's a good man and, in my opinion, a very good father. Well, then why are we here? We're here because of the world he lives in. My ex-husband fights for bad Ellis people. Ellis as Sharon Young My again? son attributes some idealism to Oopsie this award world. winner? The influence Indeed. scares me. He's begun to deal drugs with a sense of pride even, a pride that he gets from his dad. Objecting that? It would be one thing if he came home wanting to defend criminals. But to identify with them as role models, this is beginning to happen. Have you talked to your ex-husband about this? My ex-husband. Have you talked this to your world. son about this? That's what led to us splitting up. Have He's you tried inside parenting? It. He defends these people on a mission. It was more important to him than being a husband, more important than being a father. Objection. That isn't true, Sharon. Mr. Young. You know that's not true. Mr. Young, take your seat. Isn't he like, you know, paying the bills and his custody support him. and all of that? But you don't see what you're doing to him. Ms. Young, please do not address your ex-husband. All right, we should do this. Who's the judge? Who's the judge? The judge in Eugene's case is David Huddleston, who was Emmy nominated as Kevin's grandpa in The Wonder Years. Oh, my God. The yes. Wonder Years. He was also the Big Lebowski, the real one in the movie. And he was in Blazing Saddles, the producers. And he played the conductor on the Next Generation episode Emergence. Star Trek. I couldn't find it. You couldn't find it? Oh, there it is. I found it. I found it. Unnecessary We, we have Trek. so many cues now. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. It's absurd. Did you have to upgrade from the free soundboard? I did. No, I I had to get a different soundboard. <laughs> that All is right. not. Yeah, it's, I went into our budget. It's not free. So if you'd like to make a one-time donation to pay for. Oh, Pete's. for goodness sakes! You are so thirsty <laughs> for money right now. <laughs> Do you think on set in a trailer somewhere, Jimmy and this guy were sitting, and he's like, "You know what? One day I'm going to be in the sequel to The Big Lebowski." It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. A lot of things are possible, Keith. That was a lie. It doesn't you matter. You just sat there. Eugene, oh, you Eugene just threw his jacket. I'll get my you should have shut her down. Eugene, you know she gets to tell her side. You know I had to let her. She knows my values. She knows I don't honor the people I defend. And she. Okay, so not but six minutes ago, Eugene was saying, you better take it easy on her, Bobby. And now he's pissed as hell because Bobby took it easy on her. Uh, yeah, and look at that screenshot you, know, you just Kendall paused. That. Tagger that probably told her to come on strong. Like I said, these kinds of fights you don't win by holding back. Eugene, 
Look at me. Let me plan B this broad. Now it's my turn. I oh, don't want to go back. Woo, Bobby! Damn, do you think he ever said that to uh, Lindsay? Let's listen to Bobby say that again. By holding back, Eugene, look at me. Now it's my turn. I don't want to hold back. Anything you can hear that I can use, now is the time to tell me. I'm friends with Sharon. I don't want to go after her. But if you want your son back, I have no real choice. And you have to help me. Mm, slippery slope. Yeah. A lot of body language acting into that act break. I'm anticipating a lot of crossfire, Keith. Ooh. Pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. So we're... In the elevator, Eugene's there with Bobby, and in comes his wife and Gary Cole. Uh, we're going to see the Bobs. And I'm not entirely... I have, I have nothing to back this up, but I feel like they did this scene because the episode ran short. And they added... a lot added, of staring. There's a lot of staring in the elevator. I think they're like, crap, we're 30 seconds short. Can we come up with something that doesn't involve Bobby, writing any dialogue? It's okay. A second. Does he know why I'm doing this? He understands the reason you gave him. Yes. Does he understand? Do you? No. I understand you think you're doing what's best. I'll see you in there. How long was it? Let's assume that the retainer for this lawyer's let's let's be conservative and say it's five grand for her to pay her lawyer for this this whole case. Which for Taggart, yeah, I mean he's he's tough apparently. How much therapy could that get her child? <sighs> yeah, it's. You know, and we'll address it later in the episode, but it is such a, such an extreme action to take for your first move. From the time Randy allegedly got in the car to the time you got out. It seemed like forever, but it was probably no more than a couple minutes. So, you only had a couple of minutes to reveal the personal details that you hoped would spare your life. Yes. Fam. And the details that you chose to reveal were, of course... The ones that you thought would generate the most sympathy. I guess so, yes. You told him you had a settlement coming from a car accident. That you broke up with your last boyfriend because you discovered he was seeing one of your friends. And you have allergies. I probably did. Your favorite movie is Braveheart. And you told him you lost your virginity in a car. You tell him that? I honestly don't remember everything I said. I was scared. I was just rambling on. Are those things true? What a specific reference. If you're not sure, we can always verify them with your insurance company, your friends, your doctor. A lot of it is true. I was trying to talk to him about my life, make him feel like he knew me. 
That jives with her previous What statement. I did was fax a demand letter yeah. plus a draft of a motion for injunctive relief, which we can bring before a judge at any time. It did succeed in getting their attention. Which means? Dr. Fairby, your boss, and his lawyer are coming for a meeting. I suspect they could be offering to modify your severance. Well, that isn't what I... Jimmy staring at the cross-eyed guy. I really want my job back. It's actually difficult to look okay. at. It makes my eyes hurt. I'll take the shot. Thank you, Ms. Washington. Well, okay, luckily, yeah. it's, it's only contact. Right after the meeting. I saw you snickering. I wasn't laughing. It's palsy, Jimmy. Real funny. Jimmy wasn't laughing. He was staring uncomfortably. He, he but... was staring, but he was not snickering. You're the one with the primary physical custody right now, aren't you, Sharon? Yes. You're the one spending the most time with Kendall. Possible you share some blame for his problems, or is that just impossible? I lived with Eugene for nine years. I know where the blame goes. Plan B, I know that too. Plan B? What's that got to do with Eugene's parenting? It's got to do with Kendall always bragging that his dad can get anybody off. He's a bad parent for the way he defends his clients? He's a bad influence when it comes to teaching him accountability. What about you as a primary caretaker refusing to accept any responsibility? What message on accountability does that send? I'm accepting responsibility to set my son's life back on course. I'm taking the steps necessary to see that he's raised with the right values. That's a different so, use of the word responsibility. Is that Kendall learned the right values? Yes. And you don't think that Eugene is teaching those values to Kendall? No, I don't. And values, that's one of the reasons you got divorced, your difference of opinion on values. You had an affair, didn't you, Sharon? That was four years ago. How long and did that affair last? Objection, Your Honor. What relevance is an event that happened? All of the relevance! Excuse me, but this witness is saying that my client's character is deficient and that his son gleaned these deficiencies. I should be allowed to question the petitioner on her character. I'll allow it. Answer the question. So basically all Bobby is screaming here is hypocrisy. Well, hypocrisy and the her taking no responsibility in the raising of her son. So if the son does something good... It's because of her. If the son does something bad, she has no responsibility in it, despite the fact that she has primary custody. It's sort of like Blagojevich claiming that he's a warrior for criminal justice now, even though as when he was in office, all he did was ignore all of the clemency requests. <laughs> yes. And try to sell a set. The affair seat. lasted about two months. And during the affair, on more than a few occasions, you told Eugene that you were having dinner with a... Mike and Keith have political opinions! We're very opinionated today. Mm-hmm. As we sit inside and watch TV. <laughs> Girlfriend, or you were working late, when in fact, you were seeing this man. Isn't that right? It was wrong. I know that, but... You were lying to him. Yes. And did Kendall know you were lying to his father? What kind of influence? Kendall never found out about either the affair so or... So your son still doesn't know the truth. The deception lives on. Objection. Withdrawn. The man you were seeing was married, right? Yes. What kind of values does that teach your son, Sharon? What kind of values does he get from a mother's infidelity and adultery? Objection. Sustain. Move on. You complain about Eugene's job. You ever once ask him to quit his job? I knew he would never... The question was, did you ever ask him to quit, yes or no? No, that doesn't... Did you ever urge him to demand to be made partner? That ever happened? Yes. So this world he lives in, which you so object to, you wanted him to become a partner in it. 
You get alimony, don't you, Sharon? Yes. You make money off this world, you urged him to go for partner, and now you cite that world as ground for parental unfitness. Is hypocrisy a value you pass on to Kendall? Objection. Overruled. Best interest of the child, Sharon, does that include infidelity, lying, hypocrisy? Objection. Mr. Donald. After you drew this conclusion that Eugene's job wasn't good for Kendall, did you go to Eugene and say, hey, what do we do about this? Or did you just move for full custody? He's not going to change. You just filed for full custody without so much as a conversation, didn't you, Sharon? Don't you think it could be in Kendall's interest to try to work things out with his dad before ripping him away? He's badgering her. Didn't Eugene deserve that much? A conversation? Your Honor, didn't Kendall deserve that much? He's not going to change! Great scene. Really well written, really well put together. And also, you know, getting to the point... To the truth there, this is a personal thing between her and Eugene. She's mad that he refuses to change. Thanks for the shootout sound effects. It's supposed to be punching sound effects. I don't. Well, you know, it's coming through the internet off the phone. And he's so. a good psychologist. But if he can't connect with patients. What evidence do you have that he can't? Look. Have his patients left him since he established this condition? Some have. But most haven't. The problem is, I need doctors who can help build our clinic. He's unable to bring in new business. This was Kevin Cooney. You effectively discharged him for a medical condition. No, the discharge was predicated on the inability to perform the functions of the job. What if he wears dark glasses? How would you feel about a therapist where you can't even see his eyes? I'd deal with it. Look. Part of the job is cultivating new clientele. Jerry is unable to do this. Look, I like the guy. I wouldn't do this if I didn't have to. I'd seen Lynette Hayes around, and uh, I'd always wanted to meet her. I saw her walking across the street looking into some store window. This is the what accused in Helen's case? Yes, the carjacker. The played by Kevin so Patrick Walsh. crossed Walls. over, and I went to say hello. Not to be confused with what a Lou Jacker. Kind of put a light hit on her. She seemed receptive, so we just started talking. How long were the two of you talking out there on the street? A few minutes. And then we started walking. We got to where she was parked, and then we were just leaning against her car, talking some more. Did the two of you get inside the car? Yeah. We were getting kind of cold standing outside. She asked me, did I want to get in? What happened once the two of you were in the car? She ran the heater for a while, and we listened to some music. And we fooled around. So after just meeting you, she found you so irresistible, she just had to have you. Well, he put a light so. hit on her. Then you made such a favorable impression, she just gave you her car? Helen no. knows about putting hits out. She loaned it to me. I had lost track of time, and I was really late for a job interview that I had across town. The job was really important to me, and it was too late for me to catch a bus. So instead of offering to drive you herself, she just gave her car to a complete stranger. Well, we weren't total strangers at that point. And anyway, she had some things she needed to get done, and so I was supposed to meet her back there at that street at 5 o'clock. But you decided to keep the car instead. I got lost trying to find the warehouse across town where I was supposed to meet with this guy in shipping and receiving. Anyway, by the time I got back, she was gone. So you figured free car? No. 
I didn't have her phone number or her last name. I was searching for her registration, and that's when the police arrested me. That's the truth. His story makes no sense whatsoever. But you know what does make sense, Keith? Hmm. Me pausing the episode here so that I can cut the episode down the middle as I do in post and just give myself a marker. Oh. Interesting, right? Marker! Okay. Let's go back. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Even when we try real hard, the episodes suck. It sucks. We've been outside today, Keith. Not yet. I'm going yeah, to when either. we're done. It's beautiful, though. I gotta get out there. You still too. love me? She started it. I know that. And she's not finished, Eugene. Tomorrow morning, you're on that stand. They'll be coming after you. Yeah. You can't lose control. You can't seem erratic or volatile. You yeah. have to remain calm in that chair. Well, erratic, volatile, or Eugene's, uh, he has them tattooed on his back. He'll do it. I can't figure how this happened. Custody battles. Neither can divorce. we. I know how it can turn into runaway hate, but Sharon and me, we get along. We still love each other. I know we both love Kendall. How'd this happen? I'm not sure, Eugene. It feels like a convoluted writer issue. I like think her it's criminal that Steve Harris hasn't had more of to a do. career. What's up? Oh, he's work. He works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I don't. Well, uh, I you know what I mean. I mean, like he should yeah. be. What's going on? Nonstop. Lynette, I could be yeah. way off, but I get a gut feeling with witnesses, and after listening to Randy Strunk's testimony, it had a believable ring to it. No, it didn't. There's just a couple of things that don't exactly make sense. After he took the car, he then returned to the same area. He didn't change the plates. He acted like an innocent person. Why would I say he just stole my car? Is it possible you thought he did when he didn't come back soon enough? No. He carjacked me. Mr. and Mrs. Hayes, could you excuse us for a second? Oh, what's this about? I need to speak with your daughter in private, please. I don't know. I can trust Dr. Bates. He was a good doctor. Good doctor. He was like a master doctor. Lynette, if you are making this up, a man is. Might as well just call him Master Bates. I'm not making this up. He carjacked you. Yes. No, pediatrician, you douche. Oh man. I know it was your father who reported (laughs) this to the police. Are you just sticking to the story you gave him? No. It's the truth. I don't quite get Helen's skepticism here. If anything, Kendall needs to spend more time with me. Not less. How did Kendall get those drugs? He got them from someone who works for a former client of mine. It was an unfortunate coincidence. This is did smart having Eleanor Kendall do this. To this former client of yours? Of course not. Have you ever in any way conveyed to Kendall that it was okay to take or sell drugs? No. 
Why do you think your ex-wife blames you for Kendall's problems? Sharon has always had ideological problems with my job. I think when this arrest happened, it hit a lot of nerves and fears. I also think she blames the failure of our marriage on my job. And she's reliving a lot of that anger, I guess. Can you but understand she that? She had an affair, I not him. I understand the fear. When Kendall got arrested, I was afraid too. I also got angry. But I do not understand her punishing me. And I certainly don't understand her punishing Kendall. And that's what you're doing, Sharon. Your son got arrested for possessing drugs, drugs that he bought off of one of your clients. That was a coincidence, as I said. Your lawyer, Ms. Front, she was recently arrested on drug charges herself, wasn't she? Those charges were dismissed. She was set up by the police. That's exactly what Kendall said when you asked him how the drugs ended up in his locker, isn't it? Except in Eleanor's case, it was true. A client dropped a bag of what was thought to be drugs on Ms. Frutt's desk. That's right. And when asked who the drugs belonged to, Ms. Frutt responded, I don't know, didn't she? So, yes, are you, she knew where the drugs came from. Why is there a weird reverb on his voice and nobody else's? Oh, yeah. I, I had to stop my stop it for a second to see if that was like one of our myriad technical issues but no that's no I, I clocked it the first time yeah it's on the episode for i have no why i had no idea why but gary cole's voice has this strange reverb on it and nobody else's is so it's not it's not like the there's something wrong with the episode it's almost as if there's like a boom and maybe he had a lavalier on or something like that. And they, they forgot to cut one of them in the edit or if only I we just, had I, a resident sound expert. If only we had a sound designer. Yeah, I just I, it's really odd. It's and it's odd that it would have. I mean, professional sound guys would never that would never be a mistake. They'd never make that. And I don't I don't get it. It's confusing. I need answers. I'm sure a ton of shit could happen like in broadcast or in the repackaging for Hulu and shit like that. Although we haven't clocked m many issues like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well. And it's just his vote. If it was the whole scene and everybody's, I'd, I'd believe that. But it's just him. Is it the whole scene? Well, let's find out. Yeah. Didn't she? As lawyers, we have a duty not to betray our So client. Ms. Frutt did the right thing by lying. In that context, it wasn't lying. It was telling the truth? No. Which was it? It was protecting our client, which, as you well know, we have an ethical obligation to do. Yes. Did you sit down and explain that to your son, Mr. Young? Kendall knows about it. Okay, riddle me this, Keith. Yes. Eugene is sitting pretty far away from that microphone in front of him. Uh-huh. Which means that microphone's pretty, probably pretty hot, right? So maybe we're it, just getting some bleed from Gary Cole into that mic. Yeah, maybe. but they're not using that mic in maybe the actual... Maybe they are using that mic, is what I'm no saying. No Oh, way. my God. Well, now you've made us stop the episode, so you better text your brother about it. <laughs> well, but he didn't do oh, dude, we have ADR in stuff. General. I'm referring to that specific occasion. If we needed some pew-pews, that's what his, his job was. Hey, look where our fan usually is. The fan is disappeared. That's right. Yeah, they put a bookshelf or uh, some... Or a microwave or something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's make it. It's got to be hotter or colder. To the police. Did you sit Temperature's down never and explain right. the situation to him? Not that time, no. Can you honestly say that you have taught Kendall right from wrong, truth from lies? I have never, ever encouraged my son to break the law or to lie. Oh, no. We've got a video VCR queued up. My dad says if you get caught, 
never admit to anything, even to your lawyer, because they'll be stuck with whatever you tell them. That's just sensible advice, especially for a I never told you know that. a black child. Is that don't the truth? say shit? Justifiable lie. Objection. Kendall knows what I do for a living, Mr. Tackett. Yes, in fact, he spends a lot of time at your office, doesn't he? Until this happened. He was right there when the police charged in with their guns, arresting Eleanor Front. He was even in the line of fire, wasn't he? You know that wasn't a common occurrence. And you're in a stadium for reasons. How many waking hours a week do you spend with your son outside the office? I work a lot of hours. That's why he's with me. Network. And that's his exposure to you, isn't it? Eugene Young, the lawyer. And father, and father. Father at work. Reference was made earlier to plan B. What is that? It's a defense strategy. More specifically, it means accusing someone in open court of committing the crime. Basically. According to recent court transcripts, you accused a brother of beheading a sister even though you didn't believe that he was really involved in the death. Correct? That's plan B, yes. bitch. Ever sit down and talk to Kendall about why you do these things in court? Yes, I have. Ever been booked on assault, Mr. Young? Once, the charge was dropped. And you got mad at one of your clients who sodomized two young boys. You beat him up in open court, right? Objection, this has no relevance. Everything is fair game. You made that Actually, All right. that's the one piece that does feel I'll give relevant. You a little latitude, Mr. Tagger. When this case was filed, you were under court order not to discuss the merits of it with your son, Kendall. Is that right, sir? Yes. You talked to him about it two nights ago? He was confused as to what was going on. You basically tell him that his mother was wrong? I told him we disagree as to what was best. Well, would it surprise you if he went home with the idea that you thought she was wrong? Night before the hearing, you violate a court order. The whole scene. He sounds like that the whole scene. That's what I'm saying. It's really odd. I'm, I'm wondering if something went wrong with the audio you know they if they have maybe like a room mic and then his love and they're mixing the two together to get a realistic bounce and maybe the room mic died or, or didn't work when they filmed that scene so they had to add reverb to it uh digitally and they, but they didn't want to go back and adr the whole thing even that this doesn't... Your son they picked your a shitty reverb, if, if that's the case. Odd. Are these the good footsteps for a son to step in? Sean, you gotta weigh in. I think it's He's bleed on another mic. He's being fired for a medical condition that's contrary to law. He's being terminated for an inability to perform the function. Appearance is not a function. He has six nerve palsy brought on by a head trauma, and there's Look, no... I don't know much about psychology, counsel, but uh, I do suspect that if I were to go see a therapist to unearth my troubles, it wouldn't help to have him look back at me cross-eyed. And that this is Judge is Wacky, played by so Paul Dooley, is back. In time, you step up here, Mr. Pyle. Dr. Pyle. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking to get an idea. Uh, my mother-in-law's got uh, delirium. Uh, tell us what that is. Delirium is basically a disturbance of consciousness. It can affect cognition, often manifested by a reduced clarity of awareness of the environment. It can cause focus problems. Attention the deficit problems The judge is staring in, into his eyes. The person eyes. is frequently easily distracted by irrelevant stimuli and it's often difficult to engage in long sustained periods of conversation there's also disorientation as to time i'm sorry i'm upholding the discharge your honor 
Ms. Washington, this Please. may not seem fair, but it's, it's tough to take him seriously. You can't penalize him for something he can't control. Nor should I penalize them. Dr. Pyle, you may be an excellent doctor, but medicine is business these days, too. And under the adage, you only get one chance to make a first impression, I have... There are laws against this. Uh, yeah. You, That's... Yeah, you, you, you can't. <laughs> you just can't. I sympathize can't. with the defendant as well. This isn't fair. And your problem, young lady, is that you think justice is fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of ex parte. What's the mystery? I'm not sure I have good faith belief in the defendant's guilt anymore. Why? I yeah, guess why? it comes down to credibility. Uh, my gut tells me she fed her father this story. He insisted on the arrest, and she's cornered. What have you got to support this? Oh, just listening to their testimony, I think I believe him. So what? You're not the jury. Still, if a DA doesn't have a good faith belief... That I may affect your bringing the charges, but your weighing the testimony is irrelevant. Come on. And if I brought a motion to dismiss? Forget it. And don't tank your closing, either. Defense attorneys aren't the only ones with obligations in that room. Hey, you got a conscience all of a sudden? But also, you got a it's gut an odd storyline. It's yeah. an odd storyline. We'll talk about it when we're done. Why'd you do this, Sherry? Here you go, disobeying another court order. We're not supposed to talk about this outside. Why'd you do this? They also went to such trouble. I don't want to interrupt her. her. She's about to lay it down. So, they also went out of their their way to talk about how how good their relationship was as co parents. Right. And it just. Uh. <laughs> She's already got a tear in her eye. I know you love him, but I also know I'm losing him. If it were to you, Eugene, I could deal with it. But I'm losing him to something that... He's a good kid. Becoming a bad kid. You don't see that either because... You don't want to. Or you can't. What gives her the, that impression, though? But he doesn't Do see really it. think he's better? Cut off from me. Yes. Oh. Such an intense scene, you'd wish he'd be in focus for most of it. Tough to shoot a scene into the light like that. Yeah. And with a weird matte painting behind that window. Oof, that's that's a tough scene. Yeah, kudos to Anjanu too, because it's pretty clear just from the the shot there that she that wasn't the first take, clearly, and she had probably wept another another take or come close to it. Because it looks like they've put some like makeup over what is some tears or some so clearly she, you know, you got to remember when you watch a lot of these scenes, they've had to do them six, seven, eight, twelve times. And it's, that's not an easy job. 
No, it also, it, it makes you think that she was given it on his coverage, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that when the camera was on him, she gave, even though she's not being filmed, she gave the full performance, which is a generous thing for an actor to do. This isn't about who's a better person or who loves Kendall more. It's what's in the boy's best interests. We've listened to The Guardian ad litem, somebody who is neutral, linking Kendall's problems to his contact with his father, a boy losing an ability to distinguish right from wrong. We all saw that tape. An 11-year-old boy versed on the how-tos of drug dealing. Who in this room wasn't horrified? Eugene Young was sued for intentional infliction of emotional distress when in open court he accused a brother of killing his own sister, an allegation he admittedly didn't really believe. And in defense of Eugene Young, his colleague, Jimmy Berluti, described him as being in extreme denial, a man struggling to survive what he does for a living. That struggle is affecting Kendall. We're not asking for punishment or that it be permanent, but for now, we have to follow Dr. Morrison's recommendation and appoint Sharon Young as full custodian. And then go out and remove children from every other defense attorney in America. It's about the welfare of an 11 year old boy who very clearly needs help. And now for the defense. Is this closing time? I just assume. Oh, yeah, totally. It's closing time. Time to put your case to bed. It's closing time. Otherwise, your client's dead. Closing time. It's what you've all been waiting for. Bobby Donnell at the close. Can he make this all make sense in any way, shape, or form? We see young kids in this room every day arrested for drugs. We don't take them away from their parents. Just the opposite. The courts usually plead for the parents to step in. That's exactly what Eugene Young would like to do. This is a huge overreaction to a bad event. There is nothing, nothing to even suggest any parental unfitness. Mr. Tagger quoted Jimmy Belluti's closing argument as evidence. Well, he left out the part of the summation where Mr. Belluti referred to Eugene Young as deeply honorable, dignified, a hero. I second that. So do you, Sharon. There is nobody Nobody who's walked through these doors with more honor, more dignity, and morality than the man sitting over there. Succinct. Yeah, I think it's like... If you recant, I promise... Talking about this as an overreaction... Why are you doing this? I think is wrong because it's not they're not overreacting to the problem they should be taking huge big steps to address this problem it's a big problem but it's sort of a tangential reaction it's like 
they're not actually addressing the problem. They're not actually talking to the to Kendall and giving him better guidance and trying to help him. They're just removing something. It, it, it just feels like a sidestep of addressing the issue that it, is more about their personal relationship yeah, he's than 11. it is about helping the kid. He's 11 well, years like, old. Kids fuck up. Yeah. And, you know, and even if they're right in that he's... It's he's not making an excuse. He's equating it. It's thinking it absolves him of guilt. Yeah, that could very well be true, but that's something to be intersected and addressed. It will not be solved by removing Eugene. They need to address it and educate the child. I mean, it's pretty clear. Yeah. I don't think well, it's been 21 years and we've all of a sudden have this enlightenment. That was very clear then as well. Yeah. Well, he needs to be he needs to be parented, not a parentectomy. There and, are situations where you do need a parentectomy, but clearly this isn't it. He needs some guidance. Uh, it should be noted that Keith and I are authorities on parenting. Between us, we have many children. Yes, you have two cats and I have several plants. So, I mean... <laughs> ah! I'm just saying, if you did make this up... It's bad enough the defense attorney attacks me. Now the DA goes after me too. I have to be honest here. 36 minutes into the episode, I literally have no idea what this case is about. <laughs> she, like, yeah. s- slept with this boy, and then he maybe stole her car. All right, so <laughs> Mike wasn't paying attention. At all. Yeah. So she is accusing him of carjacking her. Uh, because he was discovered with her car. Uh, and so she says, this guy came in, he carjacked me. We talked for a bit. I told him stuff. And his defense is, no, we were, we, we sort of like hooked up spontaneously. And uh, then she lent me the car. And his evidence for that they hooked up is that she, he knows these things about her. Her favorite she movie. says... Yeah, favorite movie, which she says she was saying uh, to personalize herself so he wouldn't kill her. Did they? Did he have a weapon? Well, that is a really good question, and I didn't know the answer to this question until later in the episode. I guess I... I mean, I, I don't think I missed it, because I have now seen the episode twice in the last two days. So, uh, the answer to that is forthcoming. And her, the prosecuting assistant, uh, the district attorney does, doesn't even believe her. Doesn't believe her. Yeah. And which is why this storyline doesn't really age that well. We're oh, just well, like, yeah. oh, yeah, we don't believe her because she's a slut, apparently, which is uh, an ugly point of view. There's that. But what I found more interesting was that she, the judge, the, the one interesting part I found thus far is that the judge is like, look. You're supposed to make that determination before you bring the case, but you've already brought it. You can't then decide during testimony you don't believe her. Maybe you should have taken some depositions before you brought the case. Uh, yeah, definitely. And is it really true that a prosecutor can't bail out of a case? I mean, they dismiss cases all the time when there's new evidence. Yeah, but that evidence is brought to them. Well, I don't. Who knows? I don't know. A better podcast. She carjacked me. He did. Oh, that's good enough for me, says Randy's Helen. Randy's drunk. Well, he's got to be the luckiest man in the world. 
He meets a very attractive woman who, even though she's a complete stranger, just can't help herself and agrees to fool around with him in her car. Then, well, she generously gifts him with her car. That happens every day, doesn't it? Randy isn't lucky, ladies and gentlemen. It's sarcasm time! Time to close with simple sarcasm. No evidence. That was terrible. (laughs) I don't know why I even attempted that. He's just careful. He chose his victim. He chose the time. He chose a location where there would be no eyewitnesses. Randy chose every single detail of the attack to work to his advantage. And after he got caught, he, along with his attorney, chose the strategy of putting the victim on trial. He said, she said, equals reasonable doubt. Go ahead. Put him back out there. Just don't forget to lock your car doors. My definition that was of the luckiest terrible. man in the world wouldn't be an innocent man convicted for a crime he didn't do. Here's a flash. Sometimes the defendant actually is the victim of false charges. Maybe she thought he stood her up or duped her or maybe wasn't really coming back with her car. I don't know what was in her mind when she told her father what happened. But she wasn't carjacked. No bruises, no physical signs of anything violent. The dad is the dad from Cameron from Ferris Bueller, right? Yes. Okay. She wasn't carjacked. In a carjacking... Reminds me of a question we used to have on tests in school when I was growing up. Rarely physically assaulted in a carjacking. pear, hammer. Which one doesn't fit? Here, according to Lynette Hayes, we have an attacker with a knife who took her car, who also happens to know about her past relationship with an ex-boyfriend. So he was armed. He had a knife. These are things you tell someone you have a personal relationship with. You like walk around doing soft hits on cute girls carrying a knife frequently? Something doesn't fit. I'm sorry. You tried. Should I appeal? This is the cross-eyed guy again. Sit. Dr. Cross-Eye, thank you. Dr. Cross-Eye, yes. We could appeal. But I don't think we'd win. I just don't think the case holds up after Cross. Oh. Oh. People are going to be You're so cross with you for that a joke. Suspect class, and there's no special protection for people with funny faces. So you're not recommending that we keep going with this case? I mean, Rebecca, with her no savior complex, come down off your cross, Beck. Well, thank you for you your to go back to Washington. school and become a pupil to be a better comedian. I wish I could have been more helpful. You know what? I'm funny, Keith. That's my well, cross to bear. I appreciate bear. you not laughing anyway. Comedian? Good day. Bye, Mr. Pyle. Well, uh, we're terrible people. We are.
Between all of the back and forth, the one piece of evidence that stands out most... Eugene's case. ...is that you didn't try. The boy was arrested, court papers were filed. The fact that you didn't first try, Ms. Young, to work something out, that tells me that you were leading with fear and anger, not necessarily Kendall's interests. That isn't true. Well, I'm not satisfied that you've exhausted every possible remedy. Taking yeah. away a boy's father... That's severe enough not to be the first course of action. So I'm ordering yeah. you both to try again. If you fail, try again. Then, maybe, come to me. Mr. Young, I am tempted to restrain your son from coming to your office, but I'm not there yet. We seem to have two intelligent and loving parents here. So let's put some of that intelligence and love to work. For God's sake, this is not about you. This is about your son. The petition to modify custody is denied. That's some good judging right there. Fair, rational, well-written. Where the hell's that been for the past 45 minutes? <laughs> Will the defendant please rise? Carjacking. Madam Foreperson, the jury has reached a verdict. We have, Your Honor. Commonwealth versus Randy Strunk on the... Before we get this, I want to point out how superfluous this case has been. We've given no reason to care one way or the other. We've given no sort of viewpoint as to, like... So really, the only thing this is really about is Helen having second, get, get, having second thoughts about whether she should have tried the case or not. That's it. Yeah, I, I think That's it's, the the, it's, it's some sort of attempt to show Helen's morality, but I think it it does the opposite. Like her not believing the victim like actually makes her seem worse. But I think the show's trying to make her trying to put her in a positive light. It's confusing. Well, I've been waiting. I mean, we only have three minutes left in the episode. I've been waiting the whole episode for the dad to have, you know, because they brought in a pretty, you know, a a decent named guest star. I thought My he was going to be, I, I thought he was going to be pressuring her or we were going to learn some backstory about why it was important that she lie, blah, 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 nothing. Yeah. It's, it's almost like this is only half of what they wrote for this case. And they just sort of cut out all the, all like the complicated, like plot maneuvers. So it's just sort of, yeah, it's it's odd. It's, it's like confusing. when you take that Oreo out of the pack and you split it in half because you're going to eat the one end with just the chocolate and then you're going to eat the other cookie side with the cream and you realize mm -hmm. that it's one of those gimpy Oreos that has like almost no cream in it. Yes, and it's very disappointing. Still going to eat it, but yeah, 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 yeah of course. Assault and confinement for the purpose of stealing a motor vehicle while armed. We find the defendant, Randy Strunk. Not guilty. guilty. Oh shit! Well, I mean, he did carjack her. The banks so. of the court were adjourned. He had a weapon. Bam! Thank you. Like, and again. So, what is? If the underscoring he didn't do it. The underscoring tells us that we are to think that the Yeah, we're, we're to think that she didn't do it and that conniving woman 
did all of this. But let's say that she were. What's her motivation right. to lock this guy up? You mean Helen or the girl? The girl. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. The only thing they gave us was a little bit of exposition that... Like her dad was going to be mad that, that she, she hooked with up guy. with the dude. Yeah. But, Is there, but right. there was no proof that they slept together, right? That that was no. just what he said. That's Yes, that's what he said. But then wouldn't and she say, I got raped and have a rape kit in the whole nine? You would think. So well, Helen would insist, but but all right. But so even if she hooked up with a guy, didn't want to get in trouble with her dad, and you make up this story, fine. All right, it's people do shitty things and they make mistakes. But why is she working so hard to convict him if she's just trying not to get her her dad to be bad at her? Like she's going to send this dude to prison forever for so her dad won't be mad. You know what? Keith? I don't get it. You know what? I'm putting a moratorium. We're not gonna put. We're not gonna spend more effort parsing it than the writers spent writing it. <laughs> Fair. Even though we do a two-hour podcast every week parsing things, <laughs> that's literally what we do. <laughs> which we put no effort into. My righteous indignation felt good, though delicious is that real snow can't be they're in la looks a little hallmark christmas movie to me it's probably just asbestos not quite interestingly eugene's ex-wife's house front door looks a lot like every a a lot of front doors we visit yeah, there's a lot of like really nice apartments that are on the ground floor in Boston. You can just walk right into. I feel like every time we go to someone's front door, you need to play that bumper. And meanwhile, Eugene, who Steve Harris, fantastic actor, kind of bad at pretending to be cold, always like over shivering every time he goes out, now is out in the snow with like a light jacket and doesn't <laughs> appear to be cold at all. Although that might be an attempt to make it look like snow on his collar. Oh, no. There's literally snow on his collar. It's falling on his head. And he's like, I'm not cold. When usually he's overdoing it, like, <laughs> unbelievably. I'll wait. Hmm. Sounds like a plow just went by. See, that's good to sound design. Hear the dog barking. That's not a dog barking. That's hey, the uh, that hey. Gary Cole still, still echoing. <laughs> right, almost done. Oh, look at him! He's doing homework at the table. How many tablespoons of water does it take to fill a gallon container three quarters full? Oh, that's a bad, that's a hard a math problem. Full a gallon's container. Somebody with too much time on his hands. How many tablespoons equal an ounce? Two. Okay, figure it out. It's a fly jacket he's wearing though. Good. Last one. This yeah, I like that jacket. Conversion from feet to meters. Oh, man. We're seeing lots of pictures. You go to Europe someday, somebody asks you a question, you answer in feet, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Because it'll be Paris friend, and I'm talking English. Never mind, let's just do it. He's a smart kid, like... over Eugene's face thinking about being a father 
You know, as we fade to black on Eugene there, it's really impressive to me, some of those shots, because having done a little bit of like film and TV work, one of the worst, I don't want to say worst, one of the most uncomfortable things for me as an actor who's done a lot of stage and, and musical theater, I find that I derive a lot of intrinsic emotional support from music. Music informs my performance. That's right. kind of just how I do. However, like Eugene just had to fill almost a full minute of just emoting as a parent and looking, you know, but, you know, and he had great underscoring that really kind of fills that vibe. However, he's just sitting on a couch with two cameras pointed at him just sitting there. There's no music. There's no actual him seeing the pictures that we're seeing on the show. It's just him sitting there. And that is a difficult thing to do. Mike and Deglio, uh, definitely giving lots of good parenting advice, lots of strong opinions on how to parent, can't conceive of pretending to be a parent for even one minute without help. No, I, I don't even mean that. I just mean that like a lot of times when I watch, it's the music that is making me go to yeah. a place. No, no, no. I, yeah. Obviously, he's doing a good job. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just being a dick. How dare you? How dare How you when dare I am I? so serious? So serious. And you know what is serious even more? Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie. The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the Oopsies? Well, they're a bunch of fake awards that begin with... You know, Keith, if any of my fictional children are ever being threatened to be taken away from me, it would be important to me to not only have a good lawyer, but to have a good friend who was also a lawyer, mm. who was also mm. my partner. Mm. And thus, my vote for most valuable lawyer this week goes to the only person who did any lawyering, Bobby Donnell. Bobby High Pants Donnell? Yeah, no, I, I I think he did a really good job. Um, it's too bad we don't have a, an award for best judge because the judge did a really good job this week. Um, but yes, congratulations, Bobby Donnell. You are the MBL. Next up. Already famous because you've been on TV. Getting a paycheck. Watch first entry on your IMDb. Way to go. But you're the best guest actor. This whole episode might have won an award for most superfluous guest stars. A lot of people coming in to not really do much. Uh, shout out to Alan Wilder, who played cross-eyed Dr. Jerry Pyle, who was barely given any meat on the bone, really, aside from the sight gag of his eyes. 
We've got the father. Uh, what was his name? Dr. Bates. Dr. Bates, played by... Uh, yeah, Dr. Bates. <laughs> who sat in the sat in the courtroom and didn't do much and we've got uh gary cole who you know had some a couple good scenes but definitely not given anything to flex on and thus i'm going to write a wrong from last week when i did not choose uh ingenue ellis as sharon young and i'm going to go ahead and use her as my oopsie pick once again she uh emoted she acted well she had some great scenes with eugene she had some great scenes just trying to be do the right thing as a mother, even when that right thing was the wrong thing. Yeah, I no, I I agree. I I thought Gary Cole did a good job. I thought he Taggart did tag Eugene a couple of times there. Um, but yeah, I think Ingenue Ellis did a fantastic job. Even though her character didn't make a lot of sense in her motivations, she made sense of what she was given. Uh, and I think did a very good job. So congratulations, Anjanu Ellis, for your second oopsie in a row, at least for me. Yeah, that's a double up. The du- it's a double oops. I'm a double oop. Oopsie, the rare, that's an oopsie doopsie. Uh, the rare oopsie doopsie. And, uh, you know, look, everyone's made an oopsie doopsie by listening to this episode with us. So I implore you to one. somehow include oopsie doopsie on the Instagram post. Oh, boy. I, I, I feel like that, of all the things that we do that could get us sued. <laughs> oopsie doopsie? Anjanu Ellis would be like, don't you dare tag oopsie doopsie on me on Instagram. I have a, I have a career. There's no oopsie doopsies. All right. Uh, what's next? You killed your podiatrist or blew the case, but you let a single tear run down your face. You're the best actor on the show let's keep the oopsie doopsies going as i full throttle endorse steve harris for his oopsie doopsie as best actor once again just killing it i've never seen him not be excellent uh he I would think officially won season one didn't right didn't we hand out like season wide didn't he win season one Oh, that's a good question. Let me look at it. I think we did. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he won season one. And he then took a little bit of a siesta as the writers kind of forgot about him for a little bit. But Eugene Young is breaking heads, breaking hearts, and breaking the bank as we have to pay for an oopsie doopsie, which is a little bit more fancy and expensive than a normal oopsie. Steve Harris. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Steve Harris. Yeah, no, absolutely. He'd crush it again. And actually... Other than half of an oopsie, we've have this is the oopsie doopsie thruple because Bobby won, Eugene oh, right. won, and Anjanou Ellis won last week. So back to back, yeah. Kurt Fuller stole half of one, but other than that, it is oh no, that's totally wrong because Jimmy won Jimmy, last week. Right. I take it back. However, Steve Harris back to back oopsies. Congratulations. I'm sure you're thrilled. Speaking of thrilled... The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady! Keith, we've discussed Tom Brady going to Miami. We discussed Tom Brady going to the XFL. And Dallas. And Dallas. But there is a potentiality 
mm. that we have not discussed. Yeah. And I'm going to bring it up here. Okay. It could be that Tom Brady decides to hang him up and Ooh. retire. Retired Tom Brady. So maybe he go- puts on his uh, his flower shirt and mm-hmm. goes on down to Florida, buys himself a PT Cruiser, and becomes <laughs> retired Tom Brady. <laughs> retired Tom Brady. Okay. Yeah, I I I think that's a that's a good case. Uh, congratulations, retired Tom Brady, for your Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Which leaves us with one unenviable task to roll out the number of... Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. You know, some may say, Keith, that why do we even rank the episodes? We could just go on IMDb and see how many stars the people have given it. And I'm looking. and Fuck I'm the people. See- and I'm seeing that... The people have given this episode 7.7 stars out of 10 on IMDb. To which I say to the people, what the hell episode did you just watch? (laughs) I have to look at my mathematical specific score sheet. I have to dole out my spare tires in three parts for three cases. Case number one, the carjacking. Completely nonsensical. It doesn't help me... It doesn't further Helen's character for me. It didn't bring up a really important touchstone uh, issue that we need to discuss. It didn't really do anything. And the resolution felt a little melodramatic because there were no stakes. Zero star, zero tires for that case. Whoa, zero tires. That brings us to... Uh, the Eugene case, which I thought was really well acted. We didn't really get the why, but I can understand. Uh, I'll allow it. And I thought the resolution was actually fair and reasonable and well-written. So I'm going to give that its uh, 3.3 stars, 3.3 tires. All right, so we're up to 3.3 tires. The cross-eyed guy. Cross-eyed guy? It almost felt like it was played for a laugh, but it wasn't even sort of funny. The only thing interesting in it was whether or not he was wearing goddamn contacts. I thought it was schlocky, the writing. I think the writing let down our intrepid heroes quite a bit this week. I'm going to give Cross-Eyed Guy case one star, which brings me to 4.3 stars spare tires for this episode i just didn't think it was good wow wow Woo! coming out hot we're coming out of sweeps weeks you can't write me a better episode it definitely felt a little half-baked i thought the setup for this week was pretty good getting us prepped for eugene we could have just spent our time there they it was diversified for no reason i'm standing by it I'm going to bump it just a little bit because it's it's not one of the worst for any, by any means, but I'm giving it four spare tires. It's my official ranking. Okay. You, you bumped it down. <laughs> 4.5 spare tires. <laughs> I'm very specific. Yeah, you're very scientific thing here. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's not a good episode. Um, I, you know, I agree with you with Helen's case. 
Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't think it ages well. I'm not sure what it's trying to be telling us about these characters. Um, so yeah, that that was not 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 good. Um, I thought Eugene's case was more interesting. I the logic of her behavior bothers me less because the character doesn't have to be logical. We f- we saw in that moment there that it's personal. She's mad at him. And so that is bleeding into her decision-making process with this. So she's behaving in a sort of a selfish manner and a destructive manner, but I don't I don't mind that if that's what you've written and I think that is what they've written. So I actually thought that whole thing went pretty well. Um the cross-eyed case we've already touched on that beat better. We already had multiple discrimination cases that handled it better, were written better, and were played better. This didn't do anything. Yeah, I I think it was, it's almost a trying to fix the monkey case. The guy looks like a monkey because perhaps realizing that that was handled so trashily and entirely for laughs, and they wanted to sh- treat the character with a little bit more compassion, somebody who has a a physical issue that is not their fault. However, the way it was shot was still half played for laughs. It was a sight gag. It was a sight gag, and it shouldn't have been. So if you're if you're going to try to make a, a more compassionate point, a more you know a you're, you're going to stand up for people like this is not his fault it was a medical condition it shouldn't be played for laughs so you can't sort of half play it for laughs and or at least have the resolution have something to say like let's point out that you can't discriminate like this but what happens is he loses and then they decide man eh, we're not even going to appeal right and rebecca d cricket our moral warrior was like eh. so yeah, no, that wasn't good. All right, so this is a long way. Everything we're doing is a long way of saying, uh, I'm going to give it five. So 4.75 tires. That's bad. 4.75. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's, now, it's, luckily, we're there are only, what, uh, th- five episodes left this season. So it might be, you know, it's like we, we subtract the highest and the lowest. Like, no, we uh, don't. Didn't we do something like that? Don't we discount one whole episode each season or something like that? No, sex, lies, and monkey counts. (laughs) Well, regardless, uh, it it might have the dubious distinction of being worst episode of the season. So we'll see. It has... uh, No, I I think State of Mind is is still below it. Which one was Uh, that? I don't know. And we'll get it back on the recap, which is coming oh, up in a yeah, couple we'll, weeks. We'll get it. Yeah, no, exactly. And if you're in case you're wondering, our season average thus far is 6.82, which is down from season two, which was 6.95. Wow, we've yet to get up into the sevens yet on our averages, huh? Uh, No, we were 6.7 on uh, season one. You like this season... A tiny bit better than I do, 6.85 to 6.8, which has actually been true of the last two seasons. Keith, give me blink twice if there's a cliffhanger at the end of the season. Oh. Or, or just tell me. Because <laughs> I'm not d- going to do that. I'm just saying cliffhangers are coming. Okay. But I'm not saying 
whether we have a cliffhanger or not, because I want to see you hang off that cliff. I'm ready for season four, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, that leaves us with a chance to go outside and enjoy this beautiful day. Thanks so much for listening to yet another episode of Profound Mediocrity here on the Out of Practice Podcast. If you'd like to tell us about it or leave us a mediocre rating and review, please, you can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and join the jury or any other place. Just let us know by emailing us at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Out of Practice. You can find our rankings of all the shows when you're going to see what does a 4.75 look like in the pantheon of every episode we've ever done at outofpracticepodcast.blogspot.com. Stay tuned for next week when I, on air, ask Keith if he will remember to feed my cats the following week. We're going to have to record two episodes because I'm going out of town for my wife's birthday. Oh... And Keith will get to reach into the litter box, dig deep, and find those. Oh, there's so much more. I, I'm not even. I'm gonna save. <laughs> I was gonna come up with a laser sounds reference. Gonna pretty, stay out of the crossfire. Pretty soon, it's gonna be warm enough for us to see laser-armed Keith Barney firing me those laser sound passes with a football in the park. Laser sounds. Go so much longer than I expected it to be. <laughs> And then too short. Yeah. Oh, well.